The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Technical Gremlins added a special challenge to this episode, but we persevered. It just goes to show you the value of your pre-flight checklist. But finally, the gang marveled at the comings and goings at an ICE airport. They remind us that old technology can still be very useful technology. They talk about some of the cool gadgets they've seen recently, and they respond to a whole flock of feedback from listeners. All this and more on Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 16. It's a do-over. 18.8 billion dollars, a new all-time record for billings in the general aviation business. He's got a little partition between the cockpit and the back of the airplane. It really makes me laugh, Jeb. That's what he wrote. He actually called out Jeb's name. He says, it really makes me laugh, Jeb. Check is in the mail. Well, hello, everyone. Here we are again with episode number 16 of Uncontrolled Airspace. Uh, I'm Jack Hodgson, a uh, freelance writer up here in Boston, also a new media producer. And with us uh, on this episode, uh, the regular cast of characters. Uh, Jeb Burnside is talking to us from Springfield, Virginia. Jeb, a freelance aviation journalist, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine and also as a contributing editor to AvWeb Biz. How you doing this evening, Jeb? Doing spiffy. I hope everybody else is too. Good evening. And also with us this evening is Dave Higdon. Dave is a, talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. He is an aviation photographer, a senior editor at Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Hi, Dave. How you doing? Hello, everybody. I hope you're all having a great February. A so. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you warm, off there. And a warm one too. Last oh, yeah. e- <laughs> last episode. Last episode, when we began episode 15 of Uncontrolled Airspace, we made comment about the fact that it seemed like we had done this just the other day, because we had done an episode six days earlier. Well, we're all laughing right now, because it seems like we did this just this morning, because, oh, we did do it just this morning. Uh, we had we, we recorded a what I think was a wonderful episode of Uncontrolled Airspace uh, this morning, uh, Thursday morning, and uh, finished it up only to discover that there was a weird technical glitch that was all my fault. I take the blame here. A weird technical glitch that caused the audio recording to be unusable. Electron revolt. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, um, I mean, here's the, the the lesson to be learned: is always upgrade all of your software, not just some of your software. And always test fly your upgrade. So here we are back again, uh, about uh, 12 hours later, and uh, we're gonna do <laughs> do it again and uh, and do over, do over, do over. <laughs> So if let's we see. Really get abusive with one another. We may do this three or four times a day. Yeah. Well, you you, you might have to find somebody else later today. So the first thing I want to talk about is my obsession of the week, uh, which is that. Uh, 
I've just been endlessly fascinated uh, this past week by the Alton Bay Ice Airport, uh, which for those of you who haven't been paying attention is, a, is an airport that they carve out on the ice in Alton Bay, which is a part of Lake Winnipesaukee up here in New Hampshire. And uh, when the weather conditions allow, uh, they open up this airport and uh, people come in for little weekend fly-ins and it's right at the edge of a little uh, resort community and uh, there's just a lot of fun stuff going on. And I posted way more than enough uh, pictures and photos and commentary and stuff on the uh, Uncontrolled Airspace blog these last few days and uh, I was just been fascinated by it. And did you guys get a chance to take a look at any of that stuff? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Of course, I just have a shiver going down my spine when I think about it. Uh, it's uh, definitely slick. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> now, now, what is what is this notum that we saw? Was that the is that the same airport? Yeah, it is. What's, so, what's the trick? What, well, I mean, we had a big snowstorm here yesterday. Uh, okay. And uh, up there, I don't know for sure. I think what happened up there is they just plain got a lot of snow, and okay. so um, at the very least, the runway is now snowed in and has to be plowed again. Um, but it may all, it, it, depending on what the temperatures are like, down here in Boston, what happened was that it snowed in the morning, then the temperature mm-hmm. went up above freezing and turned into rain, which means everything mm-hmm. turned into slush, mm-hmm. and then after sunset, the temperature dropped, so it got cold, so the slush all turned to ice, so it's pretty ugly here. Now, if that's what happened up there on the runway, then it's really in rough shape and may not be yeah. plowable. Um, so the notum went out this morning uh, that, uh, that uh, they've, at least for the time being, the uh, the airport. And as I mentioned before, it's it's a real charted registered airport. Um, that it's actually called. I think it's called a a, a, a seaplane base. Technically, I was just going to ask you if that was a seaplane yeah. base when it wasn't frozen. I, you know, I don't think there's as much seaplane activity as there is anything else. Uh, and someone may need to correct me on this, but I, my sense of it is that that was just sort of the box that was there to be checked on the form. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the real, the real purpose of the of the registration and of the, you know, it's got its own uh, its own uh, ID and everything is is so yeah, that they that can turn it into a designator. A, so they can turn it into a uh, ice airport in the winter time. So everyone should take a look at the uh, at the uh, pictures. There's also a video on the uh, on the, the website. The video's neat. The, the video is neat. It's a, it shows two separate arrivals, uh, two different one, aircraft. One one done well. One done. Entertainingly, not, not so much. Really, I mean, I was a little worried about this guy because you know what happened was he 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 came down and he was not only off the center line, he was actually off the edge of the runway, right. and and his right main gear uh, wiped out this little snowbank that was uh, there, and the snowbank just barely reached the underside of his. This was a low wing airplane. It was like a Grumman or something. I think it was a Grumman. Yeah. And uh, um and and the the snowbank bank just kind of exploded, you know, poofed away, <laughs> which I think is pretty lucky because man, some snowbanks can turn right. frozen rock solid you know yeah, i've got a, i've got a front yard of rock solid snowbank yeah. so but in this particular uh, case the the, the snowbank just kind of poofed and uh, the guy um, was kind of in the snow for a minute and then he kind of got turned 45 degrees one way and then the other way and then he ended up like almost 90 degrees to the runway and heading right towards the guy shooting this video which i'm thinking oh my god he's going to take out the video guy and then, and this is kind of an interesting lesson, um, is that he actually got straightened out on the runway very quickly and then continued to roll out, if you will, down down the runway. It just goes to show you how little the, the, the tires on the pavement uh, have to do or, or, or you know, they, you don't necessarily need that kind of action. It's all about the airfoils and the, and the airflow, uh, the airflow controlling the engine, the aircraft on the, uh, on the runway, you know. So. I would have liked to. 
away. I, I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall for for uh, <laughs> what what was going on in the cockpit of that airplane. Yeah, I mean, all kidding uh, aside, the guy yeah. should have gone around. He knew he yeah, was. He, yeah, Th this is lesson number thirty-seven in reasons to go around. Yeah. Um, but uh, so there's a little video we posted. It's actually on YouTube, but we we put a little copy of it on our website on the in the blog there. And then the second landing was a was a uh, boring. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a very nice run landing. The guy came down and just kind of slid out, rolled out. I mean, he did did fine, and that was a good landing. And uh, Navion, a Navion. That's what I was trying to remember. Right, it was a Navion. So, oh wow. Now they're not all. Wonder about the potential for studded uh, tires. Yeah, I know. But like we've discovered, it's I guess it's not all that important. And that's by the way the other point here is that in a in case anyone's not clear on this, we're not talking about airplanes with skis or anything like that. Right. right. We're, we're talking about airplanes. regular old rubber wheeled airplanes that are landing on ice that seems to be just plain simply plowed of snow. There doesn't appear to be any preparation. So that's cool. Take a look at the pictures. There actually was one little incident um, there uh, over the past week where one guy also went off the runway and uh, the sad part was apparently he didn't go so very far off the runway but this is like one of the more unique airports in the world because 10 feet off of the edge of the runway there was a guy who had set up his ice fishing shack and uh, <laughs> and he was and I one report I saw he said Tried he to said pass it off as a hanger well he said he said, the reason I put my pickup truck between the shack and the runway was to protect my fishing shack. <laughs> so, well, it did, sadly. And, uh, it did protect the fishing shack. One guy went off the this runway This is my brother, Daryl. This is my other brother, Daryl. Yeah. And this guy clipped, clipped the truck. Well, I'm glad you guys are having so much fun with this poor guy's airplane getting hurt. My well, no, I, I, no, it's just the, it's the it's the guy that wants to protect his his fishing shack with his pickup truck that's got me tickled. Well, think 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 about the 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 uh, what a bright stone this is to bring his fishing shack and 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 his truck within ten feet of an an active runway that happens to be ice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like parking near, right next to the uh, to the uh, hockey rink, and then getting ticked off because you got puck dents in the fence. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You get your house, put your house next to a golf course, and then wonder we, why we've golf all balls seen into hockey. Yard, they, right? they, they say they're Park. under control there, but we know that's not always true. Yeah. Park uh, your Ferrari on the driving range, and then wonder why you have all these little dents. I, I can easily imagine that there are some interesting little turf battles that go on at this at this particular airport. With, uh, well, according, according, you know, to the, according to the clip that one of you sent me, uh, you know, according by local ordinance, nobody's supposed to be within a hundred feet of the plowed portion of the runway with their fishing shack or their pickup trucks or combinations thereof. I don't remember so, seeing that one, but uh, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, once was, you, once you mix airplanes with ice fishermen, you're you're just going down <laughs> a very slippery slope. Well, you know. <laughs> And and this this airport actually had troubles a couple of years ago. They were afraid they were going to have to shut you know shut it down so to speak, but but stop doing it because they uh, were suddenly afraid that they were going to get um, required to follow the rule that requires a chain link fence around the perimeter of the airport. Apparently there's a <laughs> apparently there's a regulation now that says every right. every airport has to have a chain link fence. And uh, they were a little concerned about not only, I mean, for starters, the expense of that, if he even thought it was made sense, you know. So, anyways, it's a cool airport. I think it's just really neat. I've put way too much stuff on the blog. Um, 
we'll move on. <laughs> and, and, and to the guys with your fishing poles, 100 feet back, guys, 100 feet back. That's right. The airplanes can't stop yeah. on the ice. Yeah. We're, we're good, but we're not that good. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, moving we're on really here. Right Let's see along, now. He said. So uh, first subject, the uh, uh, business has been good. Uh, 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 Gamma it was and a very good year. Uh, Gamma and a few other uh, uh, aviation organizations and manufacturers have been reporting recently that uh, that uh, 2006 was a good year for selling airplane stuff. And uh, who wants to talk about that? Oh, I think I can pick this up. 18.8 billion dollars, kiddies, fellow aviators. It uh, a new all-time record for billings in the general aviation business, uh, 4,042 airplanes. 2,750 of those were piston airplanes. That means there's a lot of Yay. us little airplane drivers that uh, invested in new iron. Uh, it was a good year all the way around, uh, and they might have been able to claim uh, some more records if it weren't for the uh, successes of the late 70s when they had airplane uh, delivery numbers in five figures, like 16,000, 17,000. But uh, this is good all the way around. It means more jobs. It means more uh, flying being done. It means a lot more replacement for some older stuff. Uh, means more work for the maintenance shops and the flight instructors and uh, the insurance companies all the way up and down the line. Uh, now we just need more pilots yep. to keep this thing going because, kiddies, we're losing pilots. Uh, at, at a uh, not an alarming rate, but a steady enough rate that if this kept up for you know 18, 20 years, uh, there'd be 18 of us hanging around at the airport uh, on Sunday yeah, afternoons, yeah, wondering why there's nobody else we to fly with. Yeah, yeah but think of all the airplanes we'd have to choose from. Oh, that's that's true. Uh, you know, t think two, how much two, the gas would cost. <laughs> two additional two additional data points. One, I would really like to know, and 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 maybe one of our uh, our listeners will chime in with some numbers. I'd really like to know if um, the overall fleet is increasing or decreasing, uh, the civil civil aviation fleet. I mean, are are all these four thousand plus airplanes? You know, some of them obviously are going overseas, but are all these four thousand airplanes going to replace damaged or junked airplanes? Are they are they adding to the total numbers in the fleet? Are they the going fleet, overseas? The fleet is, fleet is growing. Yeah. Is the, the fleet, fleet is the fleet growing? Is yeah, uh, and one of the areas where you can see that is with uh, some of these uh, small fractional piston airplane operations that have uh, shown up, like iFly, uh, where you get to buy a share of a Cirrus or a, a Columbia and uh, fly yourself around uh, like you're an owner of the airplane because you are an owner of part of the airplane. Uh, so that's letting a lot more pilots, uh, you know, claim a uh, claim a stake in general aviation as aircraft owners said you could before. Uh, no doubt that a lot of these are, not a lot of them, but a, a significant percentage are replacing airplanes that are retired, scrapped, crashed, uh, worn out. But uh, at these numbers, the, the last time I looked, uh, the fleet numbers were going up. Now, how would you, I'm trying to, I'm sitting here trying to figure out how you could count the number of airplanes. You can't do. There must be some public information that would no, give us an FAA, idea. FAA registration would have that information. Well, well, registrations doesn't work, right? Because registration doesn't necessarily mean that it's an active aircraft. No, it doesn't. Uh, but it's it's a pretty good. How does it work with airworthiness certificates? Do they expire and have to get renewed periodically? Or no, 
No. No. Well, they no. expire in the sense that an annual inspection must be conducted. Well, that was right. my next question. But are, does when you get your annual, does it have to be registered? Do you have to then tell nope. the FAA that you got your annual? Nope. If, no. If, if nope. the FAA wants to know, they'll ask. Yeah. They do a survey every year. Yeah. The FAA does uh, of flying activity, registrations, and all that. Uh, but past history has shown that you know upwards of ninety percent of the airplanes that show up on the registration are active airplanes. Now a lot of them are only flying twenty, thirty, fifty hours a year. Right. Uh, and but and there's some that are inactive. They're waiting to be restored. They're a data plate on an old scrapped airplane that somebody's going to rebuild someday. Uh, some of the uh, registrations are. Airplanes under construction uh, that'll have experimental type certificates, uh -huh, uh -huh. and it, it's something bears mentioning here. The uh, experimental numbers have been going up in recent years, that's and true, these gamma numbers, by no way, reflect the activity in the home building market. Yeah. No, that's that's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, every time I turn around, there's a new experimental. Yeah. Uh, well, all in know, all, it sounds like a great extraordinary. All in all, it sounds like a great thing. It can't be, you know, whatever the final net number is, it's got to be a good thing that, that sales are this strong and uh, that uh, so many people are buying airplanes for whatever well, reason. And, and and everybody up and down the map pretty much, uh, you know, from uh, Beach to Cessna to Zlin, as far as I know, is reporting healthy backlogs uh, with higher numbers of deliveries expected in 07 probably again in 08, maybe starting to taper off in growth in 09, uh, but pretty steady upward numbers through 2011 through two, and 2012. So, uh, you know, barring something really catastrophic like uh, disastrous user fees or uh, a fuel shortage, uh, there we, we go. Be looking like we could be looking Segway at Segway uh, number one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Segway did he go, George? Uh, we could be looking at pretty healthy growth in airplane sales, uh, uh, you know, for the next five to seven years. But we need more people to fly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who's buying these airplanes? I mean, if if you know, AOPA, for example, now has like four hundred eleven thousand members. That's that's. Far and away, a new record for AOPA. That's quite correct, yeah. And it was a year and a half or so ago they broke 400, uh, and they keep going up. Um, they keep getting a bigger percentage of the population because the number of pilot certificates active in the country right now uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, in the last year has slipped just below 600,000. Okay. It should give you a, a little bit of an idea of how much weight AOPA carries with the pilot population. Really? Yeah. That's something. That is something. Yeah, talking about uh, upwards of 60%. Moving on here, uh, FAA has, know, did they propose this or had they actually put it in place a new air tour rules? Uh, it is a final rule, as I recall. Yeah. So what's happened here is that FAA put this new rule out that my, my sense of it is that the rule was intended to to put some more controls and some whatever good stuff on like operations that are doing flights across the Grand Canyon and, and, and those sorts of things. Um, the problem is that there's been an, uh, an unintended consequence here. Is that the right term? Uh, That's exactly the right term. Uh, that um, this rule may inadvertently be restricting uh, those of us in GA who give uh, uh, flights to charitable flights and Young Eagle flights, uh, which to me is, is a pretty big deal. So uh, who wants to talk about this? Jab, you know a little bit about this? I'm not that conversant with this particular rule. Um, an overview would be that um, 
for years there have been uh, various restrictions. Grand Grand Canyon is kind of the, the poster child for this. Not only do you do you have uh, um, what I would call economic uh, rules uh, relative to to who may or may not engage in in this kind of uh, this kind of carriage, but sh over the Grand Canyon you also have uh, some environmental rules, some, some noise abatement rules. Um, stepping back from th those kinds of rules, though, um, you have um, penny a pound rides at the local airport on on the summer afternoons. You have uh, the sightseeing tours up and down the beaches sometimes here on the East Coast and the West Coast. You have uh, just general sightseeing. Uh, uh, there's, I think for years, been a guy in the Atlanta area with a Cherokee 6 who does uh, mile high club rides. <laughs> uh, you know, all of this stays within 25 miles. I thought you were joking when you were I was not joking. No, no, he wasn't joking. <laughs> I was not joking. Um, he's got a little partition between the cockpit and the... Uh, in the back of the airplane, and, and I won't... I, I think won't the even, less we go into that here, I, I, probably I, the better. I, I, yeah. I won't speculate about any video cameras or anything like that, but... It's um, a whole new meaning to aerobatics. It, it does indeed. <laughs> it does indeed. But I think we've probably crossed crossed the line there in that conversation. Anyway, um, the, the FAA regulates uh, a lot of this activity through its, its so-called air tour rules. And there's different um, levels of, of regulation imposed depending on how you want to do it or what you want to do and how you want to do it. Um, speaking uh, for myself, um, I will have to go take a long, hard look uh, at some of these rules. I've done a, by no means uh, any, any sizable amount of angel flight activity, but I have done you know, a couple of flights a year with angel flight when, when time permits. Um, in, in Angel Flight, for those of you who, uh, those of our listeners who are not familiar, is uh, a very uh, totally nonprofit organization. It exists to coordinate patients uh, in need of transportation throughout the country uh, and uh, pilots who are volunteering their time and their airplanes and their fuel to transport those patients. Um, kind of got its start. Um, um, years ago with the, the Corporate Angel Network uh, up in Westchester County, New York, back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, the concept did, I guess, and Corporate Angel Network uh, exists to coordinate empty seats on business jets with, with cancer patients who need to go from here to there and, and for uh, physical reasons or economic reasons can't, uh, can't go on the airlines mm -hmm. or can't, can't find some other transportation. So Angel Flight is kind of the the, the, the piston power GA um, answer to the Corporate Angel Network, and flies um, not just cancer patients, but um, um, patients and, and their families who have uh, no other means of transportation to and from their homes, uh, to, to from their homes to the. Uh, the medical facility they're using and back. Right, and the good loophole here all along has been that you were allowed to do this even if you weren't a, have a commercial rating. Exactly right. Exactly right. Now they strongly advise, um, uh, you know, an instrument rating, uh, but a commercial ticket is not required for this kind of activity. It's it's kind of a, I won't say it's a loophole, uh, but it, but it, and it is certainly recognized by the FAA. Uh, they've sprinkled holy water on this concept. Uh, in the past, um, there's never been, to my knowledge, an accident involving uh, an angel flight 
um, angel flight carriage, in other words, of a patient, uh, that resulted in a fatality. There might have been a couple of fender menders. There was a, a fatality involving a positioning flight, an angel flight positioning flight a couple of years ago. Um, a simple engine failure, and, and uh, somehow the, the whole thing got out, got us, got a, got out of whack. Well, what, but uh, what really got what really got very, EAA? It's a very safe operation. What, and and what, of course, yeah, the Young Eagles thing is the uh, right is the hook that got EAA involved. The uh, the the rules which go into effect on March fifteenth uh, uh, set a new standard, some new standards for charitable flights, philanthropic flights. For example, uh, the way that the EAA is reading this, and 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 nothing actually conflicts with that. Uh, these kind of flights would have to be done in standard category aircraft. Well, a lot of young eagle flights are done in the aircraft EAA members build, which are experimental category aircraft. Uh, the pilots will have to have 500 or more total flight hours. Uh, a lot of the pilots that uh, have volunteered their time for EAA have had, you know, a couple of hundred hours because that's been the requirement. Uh, there's going to be a limit on how many a uh, pilot can do in a year, four. And every time uh, an EAA chapter wants to do a charitable uh, philanthropic Young Eagles flight, uh, they're going to have to notify the local FISDO for some reason. So, uh, uh, you know, that pretends putting the FISDO in the loop to approve or not approve what a private group does with its charitable operations. Uh, it's kind of out of sync with the way the EAA has started, the way the FAA has treated this stuff before. So. Uh, we're really hopeful that EAA and FAA can work this out so that these kind of uh, uh, unnecessary hits don't impact on, on, on the good folks that volunteer their Dave, time for Young Eagles and other groups. Dave, do you know if there's any drug testing requirements or, or any other uh, um, enhanced medical testing uh, in the new rule? Not, for the, not that I've seen for the uh, philanthropic stuff or the 25-mile... Uh, uh, limit flights okay yeah so and and every indication is that this was sort of an accident that the FAA didn't intend for these restrictions to apply that's to, the way they're that's yeah. the way they're reading it yeah. yeah and I mean I if anyone wants to get a lot more information at least EAA's perspective on this go to the EA.org website and there's a, a news item that's currently on their front page um, I, just reading one paragraph from it here um, uh, this is a quote from uh, EAA president Tom Poberesny Tom says while we're sure FAA did not intend to create a major hindrance to introducing young people to flight, this unexpected language in the rules preamble could place severe restrictions on the Young Eagles program. Since Young Eagles pilots do not receive compensation, this language does not belong in the rule that focuses on commercial air tours. And uh, there's a lot of information here about EA's analysis of, of how this this is, is, you know, might be worded differently and uh, and about their working with FAA to get it resolved. It'll probably get resolved, I would bet. It probably um, will. You very can read charitable the final rule on the FAA's website too. Yeah, very charitable of, of Tom to say that, and perhaps if I was in his position, I would say that too. <laughs> but uh, um, I, I can't, for the life of me, figure out or come come to the conclusion that the FAA did not know what it was doing when it put that in there. I don't know. And with that, I don't know. And, well, let's move on here. We. Uh, Let's see now. Next subject. Uh, this was an interesting story to me. Um, and this was actually a big surprise to me. I think it was Dave who brought it to our attention. Um, a survey recently asked um, both pilots and uh, maritime boat owners um, whether they wanted the uh, 
I call the old, the uh, the Loran system, uh, uh, the na electronic navigation system that was popular before GPS appeared, whether they wanted the Loran system to be maintained or could it be shut down. And to my surprise, a huge majority of people asked, both in the aviation world and the maritime world, said, keep it. We want Loran around. And I, I yeah, was about 88. About 88 said, uh, you know, let's keep Loran around. It, it's up. It's working. The major investment in its, uh, in its infrastructure has been paid for. Uh, the reason this is a, a topic now is because we're starting discussions and debates about the next generation of air traffic control. And it, everybody pretty much knows that it's going to be based on the global positioning system satellites. World Air, uh, Wide Area Augmentation System, ADSB, Automated Dependent Surveillance Broadcast, uh, that those elements are going to come together and give us this new, highly accurate, free from ground-based stations and radar air traffic control system with precision approach capabilities at airports that don't have ILSs, lots of good things. But nobody's ever really stopped uh, talking about the need for someday, somehow, to have a backup to this. Uh, GPS, as good as it is, as strong as it is, does have some vulnerabilities. Uh, you know, the, from the malicious, that is deliberate jamming, to the more uh, supernatural, like uh, tendency for some problems and during solar storms. Uh, Loran, uh, long range, low wave, low wave radio navigation. It's been around since the 40s. Uh, it. Uh, kind of really came into vogue for boat, boat, private boat and recreational pilots uh, in the 80s when small compact panel-sized receivers, navigators, uh, came into, into being because of the microprocessor revolution. Uh, in the uh, late 80s, uh, they decided to fill in the mid-continent gap, as right. they called it, in the middle U.S., because prior to that, Loran had largely been a coastal system designed to support maritime operations. Right. For people who are not familiar, now, so unlike GPS, which is based on satellites uh, orbiting the Earth, Loran is based on, on uh, ground-based uh, beacons or transmitters. Um, There's a master and then uh, usually three or four slave stations. And, and, and because it was originally for, for, uh, for sailors, for maritime people, they were scattered along the coastlines and, uh, and as you say, and t uh, there was a certain point where the aviation community embraced it and they gradually filled in the rest of the country. And uh, I know when I first got started flying back in the early 90s, um, having access to Loran in your airplane was just the coolest thing. I mean, when I'd rent, every now and then I'd come across a rental airplane that had Loran, you know, or go flying with a buddy who had it, and it was just really awesome, you know. It was just oh, it's marvelous the stuff. best, one of the best gadgets you could have in your airplane, it, you know, yeah, back it was, then. it was right up there next to canned beer back in the 70s and 80s. Um, canned beer and sliced bread. That's right. I, uh, I have very fond memories flying behind a North Star M1 uh, Loran. Uh, very easy to, to use, um, fairly accurate. The only issues that I ever really had with Loran was uh, precipitation static. Uh, if the airplane uh, uh, was flying through uh, heavy rain and, and perhaps did not have static wicks uh, installed or, or well installed, um, the Loran would drop offline. Uh, it would lose signal, and you'd be kind light, of light, lightning could do the same thing. Too, lightning too. could do the same thing too. Um, I've I've never really had that happen to the same extent in the same circumstances with GPS, uh, but it was always the first time. Um, 
Uh, but I, as I say, I have very fond memories of Loran. The only other real trick with Loran towards the end of its, uh, I say, I wasn't going to say the end of its life, but the end of its, its popularity in there you general go. aviation, uh, which dates back to the early 90s, I would guess, uh, there was a move on to uh, establish non-precision approaches using Loran or specifically and the only FAA Loran. in fact did start and, and there were several approaches I remember uh, down in the uh, in the Gulf uh, Gulf of Mexico region um, offshore helicopter operators were clamoring for Loran approaches and that's where I think the first few were actually created uh, and they were I would think very similar to what uh, we have today in the way of GPS approaches um, completely, you know, area navigation oriented. You don't have to fly over a specific fix or something like that. Uh, a specific uh, terrestrial nav age, shall I say. Right, you um, just go from imaginary waypoint to imaginary waypoint. Exactly right. Um, Loran, um, in, in those days, uh, still had some, some accuracy issues, for lack of a better term. Loran is very repeatable. In other words, all things being equal, it will get you to the same point in space every time. Uh, but there was some, some, uh, uh, I won't say accuracy, but uh, uh, well, maybe accuracy issues, but the signal quality, perhaps, um, that there were some augmentation uh, uh, boxes in the works to help improve that uh, that signal quality. Um, well, there were some issues with some of the boxes, uh, right. you know, for uh, uh, approach use. They didn't really, the electronics of the day didn't support the refresh rates that we got pretty early in the 90s and, and, and even more so now where the processors could absorb, digest, and, uh, and, and wink at the information and know exactly where it is. Uh, once every six seconds for some of those receivers compared to once a second or even more frequently for some of the GPS units that we've got today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're tooling along 120 knots, uh, going without a position update uh, for uh, a tenth of a minute, uh, not exactly conducive to precision approach work. Yeah. So Loran's going to stick around. Well, we hope so. Uh, they've done some really good things to improve its uh, utility and its accuracy in Europe. Uh, the boxes in Europe that uh, piggyback uh, the, their latest Loran hardware with GPS is, uh, are, are far more common uh, over there. And uh, we can only hope that uh, some forward-thinking people and, and, and sound minds will uh, look at ways to integrate Loran into what we're going to do with the next generation air traffic control system so that we've got uh, some of the same utility available in case GPS goes flop on us. Uh, no secure country, no safe country in its right mind is going to hang all of its all of its hopes on one technology alone and and this is an existing technology that's got a lot of life left in it yeah you know listening to you guys talk about uh, the Loran capabilities it makes me realize that um, although in this podcast we talk a lot about aircraft that we've known and loved and evaluated um, and we also talk about regulations a lot we don't talk very much about 
you know, uh, other kinds of aviation products like avi avionics and, you know, whatever else. Uh, do, do, in your work, do you guys get an opportunity to evaluate uh, any of those kinds of things? New GPSs, new, I don't know From what. From time you know. to time, yeah. Yeah, time to time. Yeah, I, anything, uh, and, and, and I'm not asking you to give some sort of comprehensive review, but sure, are there any sure. cool gadgets you've come across recently that you can tell, tell, us, tell us about? Not recently, no. I, I, I remember looking uh, early on in the... Uh, in the technology's existence at uh, what I would call one of these one of these all electronic uh, uh, horizontal situation indicators. Um, this was basically uh, a little black box connected by a cable to a color PDA, uh, and it did a, a passable job. Uh, there were some some basic requirements for it that um, kind of precluded it from being a, a very good emergency backup. Uh, product in my mind. Uh, I enjoyed working with it. It was fun. It, it, as I say, I, I, uh, I, I, at the time, I don't think the, the product, and I'm not going to name the product in part because I don't remember which one it was, I don't think it was ready for prime time as the punchline. Mm -hmm. um, now, I know since then the technology has improved, both the hardware and the software, and of course the PDAs have gotten a lot better and uh, faster screen writes and, and faster processing speeds. But uh, at that time, I was I was not impressed with the product. Uh -huh. um, now the flip side of that is I just recently got a a, a new uh, Garmin 396. And this is for um, you personally. This is for me personally. Yeah. Uh, and I'll be playing with that a lot here in the over coming months. Uh, uh, that's by no means new technology, and I'm sure uh, uh, we have more than a few listeners laughing, saying the guy only now is getting a 396. <laughs> well, you know that's that's the way it goes sometimes. Uh, uh, but uh, I, I'm looking forward to playing with that box. I've I've got an older uh, Garmin 195, and uh, uh, it's it's kind of my backup. Uh, if if the uh, airplane soils the bed, kind of thing, I'll finally get home with it. But uh, uh, the 396, I think, is going to see a lot more use. Yeah. How about you, Dave? Any cool toys? Well, in uh, December, uh, I think I mentioned in a prior podcast that uh, I got to spend a little time in Florida flying a, a, a new entrant to the uh, American kit market called the Raven 500, a, a Comanche 260C knockoff. And uh, the builder, the distributor that uh, sells those kits had installed a, a, the Garmin 496, a successor to Jeb's unit, uh, in the panel of this uh, uh, kit airplane. And motoring around South Florida uh, out of Fort Lauderdale Executive, it was kind of nice to pull up the XM weather radar, uh, our XM live data link radar picture. I'll get it out right in a second. Uh, and be able to look at the weather farther north in Florida and be glad that it was up there and not where we were. And uh, the next day when rain shut us down, we could turn that system on while the airplane was in the hangar so we could take some pictures of the panel and, you know, see that we were, you know, under a, a terrible storm, world hurt, didn't want to open the hangar doors. <laughs> uh, the other system that the airplane had that uh, I was pretty impressed with was a... Uh, a turn coordinator attitude indicator combination uh, with the autopilot and altitude hold function from TrueTrack. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, this stuff's not quite ready for, uh, not approved for certificated aircraft. Not that it couldn't be installed and and used, uh, you know, if somebody wanted to go to the effort. But uh, 
really cutting edge stuff in 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 terms of autopilots and and flight instruments that the the folks over in Arkansas are doing with TrueTrack. So, uh, particularly for any of you flying uh, experimental aircraft, uh, definitely worth your attention. Yeah, I understand the TrueTrack products are, are very good, uh, reliable, uh, do the job, uh, highly highly modifiable and customizable uh, to the specific airframe and. Uh, uh, I have heard tales of, uh, of um, you know, every now and then you, you might see one of these in a certificated aircraft kind of hidden under the carpet or something like that, but uh, uh, no. I, 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 I wouldn't have I'm any shocked. personal knowledge. I, I, I'm shocked. Shocked. <laughs> shocked. Well, the, to, not to close out anybody on this adventure, but uh, Dynon uh, uh, made the uh, multifunction display primary flight display combination box that was installed in this airplane and a graphic engine monitoring system that worked with it. Uh, the builder was still dialing that in and dealing with a couple of issues with it, but all in all it was great having this nice big primary flight display electronics and uh, right next to it uh, the moving map that uh, showed us where we were headed across South Florida. Yeah. There Let's, is one product uh, yeah, go ahead, coming Jim. out. Yeah, there is one product I'm aware of coming out. I don't have any uh, uh, personal knowledge of it. I've not messed around with it. I don't even know the company. Um, uh, it's called the Oracle. Um, it's a it's a new oh, uh, engine monitor. In, in an engine monitor, right? Um, instead of just monitoring the CHT and EGT values, though, from the engine, it also basically will totally replace all of your your old steam gauge or steam uh, type uh, engine gauges uh, with uh, LCD panel and, and digital and color and bells and whistles and, and uh, you know, hot and cold running water. Um, it's uh, been in testing now for at least a year in my mind. Uh, I know someone who's been test flying in, in his Bonanza uh, and supposedly will be STC'd here very soon. Uh, by the FAA, and that's that's going to be a very interesting product. I think they have models for uh, uh, single-engine piston as well as as twin-engine piston. Cool. Well, that's all pretty interesting. Like to uh, to any uh, uh, product vendors, you know, equipment vendors out there, um, if we would love to hear about uh, new products and enhancements to products and so forth, um, you, you wouldn't necessarily need to send us a, an evaluation unit, although that wouldn't be a bad thing, but uh, if you just want to uh, send information about your product, we'll take a look at it and we might talk about it on the podcast. Also, and maybe this is even more interesting, is uh, to our listeners, if you have uh, a gadget that you particularly like, uh, something new, uh, something that did you a real good turn on some particular flight send us some uh, send us a, an email or, or an audio recording telling us about that particular uh, uh, aviation product and uh, we'd love to run that kind of stuff on the podcast uh, in both cases send email to podcast at uncontrolled airspace.com and speaking of email speaking of email uh, we got a whole bunch of feedback this past week and uh, um, there's a little bit more than usual but it's fun stuff and so I want to go through it here first of all uh, last episode I uh, invited and quite frankly urged uh, begged uh, our listeners to go to the iTunes Apple iTunes store and find our listening in the podcast section and leave us leave some feedback there so people will know what what everyone's thinking about the podcast you can still do that just click on the link that says grovel yeah and lo and behold two people actually did leave us leave feedback about our podcast on itunes and that's very cool uh two of them are they're very short let me read them for you uh one was from a guy whose username is rotor wash 
Uh, and they can, by the way, they can rate you one one through five stars, five being good. Um, Rotor Wash gave, Wash gave us five stars, and he wrote, I just found you and am listening, newest to oldest. This is a wonderful aviation product and worth the time for all pilots to listen. The creators are experienced and well-versed on the issues facing the aviation community. Keep up the good work. This is from Taylor in Birmingham. Thank you, Taylor. Thank That's, you, thank well, we've you got Taylor. Taylor Snowed. That's very cool. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm kidding. okay. And the other was from uh, someone whose uh, iTunes username is DJ Milo 101, and and uh, uh, turns out it's his name is Daniel, and Daniel also gave us five stars, so we're five for five or two. Five Ten for two. stars. Yeah, we're, 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 we're batting a thousand anyways. Uh, Daniel writes, hey, hey, my name is Daniel Johnson, and I am 15 years old, he writes. Wow. He says, I'm a private glider pilot. I am probably your youngest listener. I think your podcast is the best one I have ever heard. It really yeah. makes me laugh, Jeb. That's what he wrote. He actually called out Jeb's name. He says, it really makes me laugh, Jeb. Check is in the mail. You guys keep up the great work and keep those awesome and educational podcasts coming. That's from Dan Dan Daniel. Daniel, Jeb will be sending you glider gas money. So. <laughs> I think it's cool, you know. I, mean, I think the, it's very cool. The, the, the young people getting in, you know, I mean, you know, I mean. Jeb, we were talking about this earlier, but uh, yeah. about well, I, I think yeah, exactly. I mean, we we've been criticized, perhaps justifiably, uh, in recent podcasts uh, about you know kind of the doom and gloom uh, outlook that we we sometimes take, and uh, uh, I think we've we've cussed and cussed and discussed that until uh, we don't need to talk about it much anymore. But for all of those listeners uh, who are, are contemplating learning how. To, Going to the airport and learning how to fly, taking lessons and 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 taking the plunge, as it were, uh, but are holding back for one reason or another. And we've all been there. We've all done that. Uh, here's a 15-year-old boy uh, who who has already has his private glider ticket, and uh, you know, we I think we can tell from here that he's going to go on and get his private when he can and get his instrument rating and his commercial and, and maybe make a career out of this with his ATP and, you know, in, in another 10 years. Who, uh, who knows where know, he goes? That's right. The next airliner I get on, he may be the captain. Who knows? Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, and, and here he is 15 uh, years old. Don't so do that, Daniel. If, don't do that. if you 30 and 40-year-olds year old, <laughs> uh, out there are complaining they don't have the time or the money or <clears throat> perhaps the energy even to get out there and, and get the lessons out of the way and get the ticket, here's a 15-year-old who's done it. Uh, you can do it too. Yeah. And Daniel, Daniel, speaking as a long-time uh, hang glider pilot, almost 1,600 hours worth. Uh, man, don't ever let anybody short you for being a glider pilot because being able to soar without burning a drop of gas after you cut off the tow plane—that's real pilotage. Yeah. No that's, way around it. I think so. I think so. When you got one mandatory landing for every free takeoff. <laughs> then you really learn to fly. Next email is from our friend Rick Reynolds. Uh, Rick, Rick is a uh, is a, uh, a st him staffer at uh, EAA, and uh, and perhaps more important to us uh, is our boss at when we uh, gather each summer to do that's, Adventure Today. That's funny. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
no, no, no. Rick takes good care of us. And, he does. He uh, does. Rick takes excellent care of us. Rick is very good people. We wrote. We, we wrote. We uh, we spoke last time about the uh, EAA ski plane fly-in uh, there at Pioneer Airport, right next to the EAA Museum in Oshkosh. And uh, Rick wrote to say thanks for the nice words on the ski plane fly-in, guys. I was there, and it was a lot of fun. But they ran out of chili before noon, and we had to run out to Bummer. the pick and save to buy three more birthday cakes. So, so I guess right. a good time was had by all. I really, I really do want to go to that one of these days. Yeah, well, they were celebrating Audrey Pobrezny's birthday That's along right. with the ski plane flying, and apparently so, some uh... other people's birthdays as well. Rick signs off his email by saying, five months and two weeks from today." He's, he's referring to how long Can't till wait. the next air venture uh, out in Oshkosh, where we're all going to gather. Now, on that subject, uh, more a little bit closer uh, nearby in the future. That's a mouthful. Uh, what did coming I mean to, to say? An April near you. Sooner. Sun and fun is what I'm getting at here. Sun and fun is coming up in, in a little, like approximately two months now. And uh, yeah. sun and fun is not as big as Oshkosh, but it's just just an awesome fly-in. I mean, I, I've only been once. I, I went about eight years ago, and although I've been going to Oshkosh for years, um, I was really, really impressed with sun and fun. I had a great time, and uh, um, we're. Uh, we're probably going to be there, and that's sort of what I want to announce here. Um, and this is still a little bit unofficial. Some of us are definitely going to be but, there. Uh, <laughs> well, and, and, yeah, some combination of us would certainly be there anyways as a result of our other work. But uh, we're trying to put together a plan so that uncontrolled airspace will be at Sun and Fun uh, this in April. And uh, we're, we're, we're certainly going to record one of these episodes while at Sun and Fun. Now, this could be as simple as us gathering uh, at a restaurant with a tape recorder and a pitcher of beer. Um, but it, we're, what we're trying to put together is an opportunity for any of our listeners who are there at, at Lakeland to uh, to come and sit in and actually participate in the podcast. So uh, so stay tuned if you're going to be at Sun and Fun uh, for more information about how that's going to work. Uh, I'm really looking forward to Sun and Fun. You, you, tell tell us tell, say a few things about Sun and Fun from you guys' perspective. Uh, well, it, uh, go ahead, Dave. You, you've been going I, longer than I have. From my perspective, it's it's. Uh, it, it's one of the first, it was the first major aviation event of the season. It's in Florida, it's in April, um, there's no nothing really wrong with that at all. It, it serves to get you out of the, the cold uh, northeast, cold north, uh, mid-Atlantic climate and get you down to Florida and kind of get those aviation juices flowing again. And, and, it's got uh, a different serves its pace. Purpose in that. Yeah. It's got it's a different, different pace. pace. It's got a different geographic layout uh it's more relaxed uh it's southern hospitality it's where a lot of us go to see firsthand and first out first kid on the block a whole lot of new projects and new products that have been in the development shops and back hangers all winter yeah stuff that you'll read about in subsequent in magazines subsequent to sun and fun mm-hmm. and then we'll go see at oshkosh uh they have uh, a uh, great organization down there, Sun and Fun Inc. Uh, John Burton and his gang uh, put on a really nice gathering. Uh, they've got a burgeoning museum there, the uh, Florida Air Museum. Uh, they're on the Sun and Fun grounds. Uh, they've got a great ultralight operation, a light plate operation. Uh, uh, they've got a little area off to the uh, east of the main area called Choppertown. That uh, has helicopters and uh, uh, gyroplanes uh, operating on a pretty steady basis. Uh, it's just a lot of fun, and you know, coming out of the winter doldrums, uh, 
uh, it's the perfect antidote to those non-flying months. Yes, so uh, mark your calendars, April 17 through 23. It's not too late to find uh, find yourself someplace within reasonable driving distance to stay. It's Florida, after all, and. Florida never runs out of hotel rooms. You That's just, right. You have to That's go right. a little farther. And uncontrolled airspace is going to be there. And I just want to throw this out here, okay? So not only are we all going to be there that week in, in Lakeland, but during that week is going to be my birthday. Ooh, so, I'll just Sounds leave that like up. a muzzleloader visit. <laughs> muzzleloader. <laughs> you know, I've heard a lot. We're going to have to talk later on, David. I want to know more about this. Uh, we've got more mail. More mail. It's, it's, it, Jack, it's made Dave and I what we are today. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm afraid of. That's exactly <laughs> it, what I'm it afraid of. It made us less than we could have been later. <laughs> that's right. We got another email from our friend Stephen Force at the Airspeed Podcast. Uh, uh, this email came about because I, I was listening, as I do, I listen to the Airspeed Podcast podcast and um, they're always very good uh, the recent one I, I really liked a lot the most uh, most recent episode um, he talked about airframe icing um, and he brought on a, a little round table of three experts I believe they're from NASA uh, or at least some of them are from NASA um, and and it was just a fascinating conversation about the kinds of things for pilots to watch out for and uh, and, and also talking about how NASA uh, and these organizations do the testing and how they actually go up in, in the air in airplanes and actually intentionally build up ice so that they can do measurements and learn more about it. And it, it was a fascinating, fascinating uh, uh, podcast. So I, I sent Stephen a, uh, an email just kind of saying, I really enjoyed that, you know, good job. And uh, he sent me back an email. He said, uh, many thanks, Jack. He says that means a bunch coming from you guys. Uh, he said, loved your last episode, especially the last 10 minutes. I think, by the way, that was when we were talking about um, our uh, first flights when we started learning how to fly. He says, but you guys really hit a stride in the episode before that. It just completely gelled and was a pleasure, pleasure to listen to. That was genuinely fun, he says. Then he goes on to say, I recorded an interview with John and Martha King for the airspeed episode that'll go up on or about February 23rd. Turns out that they're both just as poised and perfect live as they are in the videos. Stephen goes on to say, I'm doing a, a several episode campaign to get would-be pilots out to the airport this spring, and the Kings are the first part of that push. Very cool. cool. And he says, the more you guys do like the last half of your last episode, the better. There's a population of groundhogs out there that can really benefit from hearing how experienced pilots got that way. It all starts with walking up to the chain link fence, watching the Cessnas and Cherokees fly the pattern, and letting yourself begin to think that you might be able to do this thing. It all starts at that fence, man. Follow the fence down to the FBO. Enjoy follow from Steve. So uh, follow the fence. That's right. Thanks, from Steve. Yeah, from it's, it's Stephen very, Force. Very good comments from Steve yeah. there. And, uh, Check out uh, Stephen's podcast if you aren't already. Right. It's called the Airspeed Podcast. You can learn more about it at uh, his website, airspeedonline.com, or look it up in iTunes. Finally, yes, one more. Good mail this time. Um, Man, we got another. Uh, that mailman must have been loaded. Down. That's right. Uh, from another friend of ours, uh, student pilot Will, uh, who uh, cre uh, does the podcast called Student Pilot Flight Podlog that we talked about a, a few episodes ago, and uh, he sent in an email. He says, "Hi guys, student pilot Will here." I thought I'd drop a line to say hi. The last podcast was great as usual. I also wanted to tell you I stepped up to the plate and wrote my congressional representative about user fees. I've never written her before, but I thought I had better if I still wanted to fly and help keep GA safe. We have to fight the good fight. 
He says, well, I wasn't sure how to go about writing my rep, uh, but I found this site that easily led me right to her office and her email. I thought you guys might want to toss it up on your show notes and talk about getting everyone to write their reps. Here's the link. And we'll put this in the show notes, but the link is uh, www.house.gov slash write rep, as in write your representative, W-R-I-T-E-R-E-P. So uh, house.gov, write rep. Um, There's almost certainly a similar link for uh, if you want to write your senator. We're going to collect these all up and put them all in the show notes. So uh, um, student pilot Will finishes up by saying, hope all is well. Happy flying, student pilot Will. uh, Thank you, Will. He does a great podcast. It's a little bit different. We talked about this before. He's actually still a student pilot, as his name implies. Um, And he's been podcasting throughout the whole uh, learning process, talking about the the process of learning how to fly, including the the difficult parts. Um, And uh, it's it's quite an interesting series. So you got to check that out. Um, It's got a weird URL to his website. I'm not going to try and say it here, but uh, you can look it up on iTunes or I'll have the link in the show notes. And uh, so, so, add a boy, Will, for writing your representative, yeah, which sort of brings us to the uh, kind of takes care of the next segment. Yeah, which yeah. kind of brings us into the, the 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 sort of last big thing we wanted to talk about tonight. Um, Segway, did he go, George? And that is to talk a little bit more. Of, there have been a few new developments, uh, actually more than a few, some some significant developments uh, regarding the uh, new FAA funding proposal that that came out a little over a week ago. And uh, so we, you know, we don't want to belabor this, and we don't want to rehash the things we talked about before. But uh, but there has well, been some new, there has been about. some new developments. And yep. uh, and I go ahead, Dave. I know you're chomping at the bit, so. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, yesterday, that? Valentine's Day, the uh, the world got to see the uh, the brave new world that the FAA would like to see uh, in way of a funding system for the air traffic control and its operations and research and development. They call it the Next Generation Air Transportation System Finance Reform Act of 2007. Cut there. Unfortunately, according to a couple of lawmakers that uh, listened to uh, Marion Blakey uh, during a hearing in the House yesterday, uh, it arrived without a pulse. Uh, <laughs> that's their way. That, that's my way of saying they said it was dead on arrival. Well, it's not dead on arrival till we have a replacement. Let's put it this way: it's not buried and 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 with a stake through its heart until we have a replacement that everybody agrees on. Uh, we were wrong about one thing in our assessment of the president's budget when it was released last week, and we talked about it here. Uh, we characterized what the proposal was going to say as uh, quadrupling uh, fuel taxes on general aviation. Uh, we're here to step up the plate say we made it. They only want to triple general aviation fuel wow, taxes. Wow, man, we really dodged a bullet there, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, man. That means that a uh, private pilot who flies 100 hours a year in a 10.5-gallon-an-hour airplane will see his cost of flying go up if he pays no other fees that have proposed whatsoever. His cost of flying are going to go up 400 bucks just in fuel taxes alone in, in the, it, under this program. If he wants to fly his airplane into one of the 30 Class B airports that's covered by this, he's going to pay a fee because they want a fee for uh, GA using the precious resources that uh, the airlines already oversaturate, even if we go in there in off-peak periods. There are going to be new fees for obtaining a 
pilot's license, higher fees for registering an aircraft, probably be higher fees for medical. Uh, the airline passengers, on the other hand, will be relieved from the nasty ticket tax that they pay now, and the commercial carriers will pay a variety of user fees that in some, you throw all the elements together, lowers their costs by about 20% and moves about $2 billion in cost to general and business aviation and private flyers. Hooray. So now what are these? These are, these are real numbers from some goods. These are goods. real numbers from the legislation that the FAA proposed. I read the title. Yep, okay. Please don't make me to do it again. No, I, no, okay. I, I, I just wanted to be clear that, when I have to hold my breath that, that these are actually real numbers from these the... These are real numbers. The, yeah, in recent weeks, we've kind of talked around the edges here. I mean, everyone knew uh, that this proposal was coming down, but there weren't very many details available. Well, this week, actually yesterday, uh, Valentine's Day, uh, the FAA finally made public all the details with proposed legislation and everything else. This was and, the Valentine uh, for the airlines. You know, th these are the good numbers, folks. We, we haven't really dived in very deep into all this. Um, one couple of things that, that kind of struck me and stood out from some of this. Um, the FAA, is gonna, because of uh, their overwhelming need to collect all of these fees, uh, they're obviously going to have to set up something in the way of a bureaucracy to do all of this. Uh, and one kind of signal note, if you will, of, of how pervasive this is going to be, they're going to change the flight plan form. Uh, part of their proposal is to change the flight plan form that we all know and love, have probably been static for 30 years, uh, to include some block uh, to collect information on whether or not the flight is a commercial flight or a non-commercial flight so that they can levy a fee on it. Um, and that's just, you know, uh, one tip of, of one facet of the iceberg. Yeah. Well, and to, 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 to just show how hollow and cynical this really is, and that's my words, uh, you know, disclaimer. Uh, we've been hearing, we've been hearing, right, Dave, we've been hearing about how we need a stable, predictable funding system because of the high expenses coming of investing in the next generation air traffic control system, ADSB and all the rest. And lo and behold, the proposal that the FAA sent up to the Hill yesterday in the first year cuts collections by over six hundred million dollars compared to if they just left the excise taxes that exist today as they are today. So this over, this new plan five, brings in less money to support the over five money. years it's like a billion dollars less. Oh, than more than a billion law. less in five years. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's um, it's a head scratcher. Let's just put it that way. Well, uh, but they give themselves that is the FAA and a uh, uh, user committee that'll be appointed to help the FAA decide how to run things and what to charge will be free. <laughs> Don't we already to have one reset of those? It's called Congress? Yeah, well, this will be a user's group uh, dominated by the commercial carriers. Uh, there's not even uh, anybody in there representing the charter and on-demand taxi sure. guys proposed for this. Uh, GA will be the redheaded stepchild of us. No offense to any redheaded cousins out there. But uh, the yeah, FAA wants Congress to divest its oversight authority and vest it in the hands of this FAA panel so that they can reset taxes and fees on their own every two years. So if they start running a big black hole in the ground and developing some of this new technology, 
uh, instead of Congress putting its foot down saying, okay, we're going to give you this much money, you need to get it done this way, and that's all, they come back and they say, well, we need more fees. We need bigger fees. This is costing more than we thought. You guys are using more than we thought. Uh, the long and the short of it is right now, if you include uh, uh, the, the public contribution to operating the FAA, that comes from the general fund. The air carriers pay about 77% of what it costs to, for the FAA to supply services to us. Under this new plan, it would drop to about 58%. And general aviation's share would go up accordingly. This, despite most of the credible uh, uh, tallies done on the uh, uh, load general aviation imposes on the air traffic system, 8% to 11%, depending on how generous or conservative you want to be. So they're looking for GA to pay somewhere between two and three times its fair share to continue to use the system under this under this scheme, so which not coincidentally is probably about the amount or is the about the amount of the uh, tax increase on general aviation fuel. Bingo, yeah. about two billion dollars a year in cost shift, kiddies. Uh, you know, those of you with licenses, those of you with aircraft, uh, you know, take a good long hard look at your bills from the last year, and imagine how they'll be with your fuel taxes tripled with uh, fees to fly through some airspace, uh, getting your private pilot's license, replacing your pilot's license, upgrading your pilot's license, renewing your medical certificate, uh, a, a host of other get things a, that they haven't explained yet. Yeah. Yeah. They're all going to cost you more money. Well, now, so, but this is only if it passes. And this is only correct. if it passes. And, and, the good new, and we certainly need to stay on top of this, but the good news is there aren't very many people supporting this. And as a matter of fact, there's all sorts of people and organizations that have been coming out very vocally saying this is just a bad idea. Well, right? that's true, Jack, on one level, but on another level, you have to look at who who is supporting it. Yeah. And it's the airlines, it's it's the big corporations right. who who stand to uh to make some money off the FAA in the long run. When when Dave was was talking about how uh this this uh panel would be established, a governing board or whatever it's called would be established and they would be allowed to, to change the fees up or down, I would I would presume, uh, every two years, uh, depending on, on how the FAA's costs went and how much it was spending on equipment. It, it crossed my mind to ask rhetorically and, and perhaps with a great deal of snark, when was the last time you ever heard of an FAA uh, procurement program costing less than it was projected to, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um, it, isn't there kind of a, a pig at the snout or a pig, a pig snout in the trough uh, scenario here, where you know we can you know if we you know, we'll just make this instead of eight hundred million dollars we'll make this a nine hundred million dollar project and uh, it won't cost the federal government anything we'll just get it from the users. Yeah, well we're going to stay on top of this and uh, we urge our listeners to. Uh, to learn some more about this, to read what's in the media. Uh, we're going to put a link on our website, I believe. We have a link to the uh, actual proposal, right? And yes. We're going to put that up there. Uh, we urge our, our listeners to to dig into this stuff and figure out what your opinion is on it. And in any event, we you know, contact your representatives in Washington and, and let them know uh, what you think. It's pretty well, obvious other, what we one think. One other but, point. Um, in, we haven't, we've discussed it in, in previous uh, episodes of the podcast, but we didn't really mention it this time. Um, 
all of this is on a relatively short fuse. Um, by October 1, well, on October 1, the uh, existing uh, authorization, they call it, for the FAA and its programs will expire. Um, it's the FAA's intent that uh, all of this uh, proposed legislation be enacted into law before October 1 of this year. So time's a wasted. And yeah. uh, th those, uh, those listeners who have any interest in this whatsoever would so strongly encourage them to become familiar with it and uh, let us know what their thoughts are. Let their Congress critters know what their thoughts are. And, and lest anybody think that there's a political element in this for us, that uh, we're somehow opposed to this because we've got a bone to pick with the Bush administration, uh, who think that we're hard on the administration. Uh, when similar user fee proposals came about under the Clinton administration, under the Carter administration, under the Reagan administration, uh, we pretty much had the same opinion then that yeah. we have now. I, I would have the no, same opinion if Dave then. Higdon proposed this. <laughs> That's right. This is a baddy idea. It's a bad idea. It doesn't work well in the countries where they've gone to user fee-based systems for ATC. It's inordinately expensive just to support their system. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, if we're biased in any way, we're biased for general aviation. That's right. We're biased for the guys that fly because we have we're the guys that fly. We have the largest, safest, most flexible, most, most capable productive. air transportation system in the world in this country, and there's no reason to fix something that's not broken. That's right. That's and just sort of to, to finish the thought, you know, I'm, we've actually heard from one or two user, uh, listeners who have sort of suggested that that we hate the FAA and and that that's part of our agenda here. And I, just speaking for myself, I want to say that that although there are some policies and, and programs that the FAA are proposing these days that trouble me a great deal. On, for the most part, I have great admiration for the people of the FAA. Um, for example, I have always found my interactions with air traffic control um, and the briefers and those kinds of people to be just awesome. I mean, they're just terrific people, both from the littlest control tower, you know, on up to when I was used to. I used to fly a lot uh, through the uh, the San Francisco uh, Class Bravo space and uh, talking to Bay Approach and talking to the San Francisco Tower. You know, I mean, sometimes they were very busy, and you know, and it had to be no nonsense. But, but they were not. You know, they were good guys uh, and women, and they took good care oh. of us, and they were friendly, and they were flexible. And some of my oldest, closest, dearest friends in aviation and out work for the Federal Aviation. Yeah. So don't. I hope no one mistakes this for being some sort of overriding condemnation of the FAA. There's a lot of good stuff at the FAA. Yeah, um, absolutely. Tremendous people at the FAA, and and I have almost never met somebody there, whether it was at 800 Independence or out in one of the field offices, who wasn't sincere, hardworking, who belied the, 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 the way politicians spit out the word bureaucrat. These are smart, dedicated people. Uh, it's what comes out of their bosses' offices sometimes that we take issue with. <laughs> so uh, the FAA, the FAA stands for our favorite aviation agency. There we go. go. There we uh, go. You know, and and we love you know, getting back to the whole student pilot thing, and of course we're all always student pilots. Uh, you know, if 
if traffic and busyness allows, you should say hi to the people in your local tower. You know, uh, mm -hmm. it's a little bit harder in this day and age of security to do so. But you know, call the tower and say hi and say, is it possible I could come up and and, and visit? And you know, it's a it's it's very cool to go up there and see that stuff. It's also very educational. Um, and you know, other things allowing, they they'll they'll let you come on up, or they'll certainly meet with you and talk with you. Good people at FAA. There's a few things they're doing we want to keep our eye on, but but great people at FAA. And we don't blame this on the FAA as much as we blame it on the airlines and the administration. Yeah. So, well, we've definitely run out of time, uh, and uh, we want to wrap this thing up. Any uh, any uh, last-minute items here? Jeb, I think there was something you wanted to talk yeah, about Yeah, there was quickly. a website that I'd come across, and Dave, you might have sent it to me. I don't recall. Uh, it's National Park Service, um, of all things, and they kind of have a history of aviation website set up. The, the URL to it is... Uh, uh, three or four slashes long, and it's, it's way too long to try to read out over the air. But uh, uh, we'll put a link up to that. It's got some videos and and uh, some some very interesting material on it. I found it's for for uh, the National Park Service and it's historical registry uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, bent to it. Uh, but it's a very interesting site. We'll put a link up to it in the show notes. Yeah. And uh, Dave, any uh, final thoughts from you today tonight? Oh, not a whole lot. Just uh, you know. It's been a bitter, brutal couple of weeks winter-wise in a lot, yeah. of, lot, lot of the country. We hope you get an opportunity this weekend or next weekend to, uh, to drag the bird out, dust the snow and the frost off, um, go bore holes in the sky. Uh, if you're uh, down in uh, the Louisiana neck of the woods, uh, February 24th, uh, EA Chapter 343 is uh, holding a fly-in at Shreveport Downtown Airport, uh, oh, cool. designator Delta Tango November. Uh, have a good down, good time down there, and uh, the uh, it's the first in a series. It's going to run through uh, October. Uh, you can check it out through the EAA website. Uh, but those are the kind of things that makes being in aviation more than just a mode of transportation. Yeah. So yeah. get out, enjoy your airplane, enjoy your ticket, enjoy your privileges. Think about what we talked about today and uh, let your voice be heard. Yeah. Well, thank you, guys. Dave Higdon, you can learn more about Dave and his work at DaveHigdon.com and uh, Jeb Burnside uh, at AviationSafetyMagazine.com and also AvWeb.com. I'm Jack Hodgson. Uh, learn a little bit more about what I'm up to at JackHodgson.com. And, of course, visit us all at the UncontrolledAirspace.com website. Uh, and uh, so that's it for tonight. Uh, you know what they say, second time's a charm, right? That's right. Deja vu. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. We'll talk to you again next time. So long, everybody. Bye-bye. I'd do it over again. There's not one thing that I would change To feel the joys I bear the pain you can email your suggestions and feedback about this podcast to podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. So really I'd better Beautiful, please don't hurry. Maybe just a half a drink more. Put some records on while I pour. The neighbors might think. Baby, it's bad out there. Say, what's in this No cabs to be had out there. I wish I knew. Cries
doesn't like starlight now.